welcome to another Change Catalyst conversation where we talk about anything and everything that has to do with building cohesive, vision-driven teams that make sustainable change happen, even when change seems impossible. I'm Casey Watts, Impact Coaching Consultant and the host of this show. What I know from experience is that making change happen can be overwhelming and downright hard. Sometimes as an instructional leader, you survey your organization from a bird's eye view, and it can seem as though you're witnessing an anthill that's been knocked down and ants are scattering everywhere. No one has a collective understanding of why change should happen or what change to begin first. You notice false starts again and again because a solid action plan hasn't been crafted or you're met with resistance because you don't know how to motivate such complex people. The thing about ants though, is that they have one common goal and that is to collectively rebuild one solid anthill. But this doesn't always happen for schools. You see, we can say as much as we want that tier one instruction needs to happen or that a curriculum needs to be implemented with fidelity or that PLCs need to be collaborative and support student learning. But these broad, ambiguous goals do nothing to help teachers and staff build capacity and actually make change happen. And that leads to schools remaining in a cycle of stagnancy experiencing the same problems and ineffectively repeating the same initiatives again and again. This leads to low morale, burnout, high turnover, and it leaves our students to suffer most. But if instructional leaders can get really clear on a narrowed instructional focus and script the critical moves for people, then we can make collective efficacy a united colony of educators, if you will, possible. My goal is to make cohesive, vision-driven school teams a possibility. I help school leaders zoom out to cast vision and then zoom back in to script critical moves that help teams collectively go farther, faster, and better, even when change seems impossible. One way I do this is by coaching leaders through the Clarity Cycle Framework, a cycle for building sustainable capacity through intentional clarity processes. Are you ready to feel great about exactly where you and your campus are headed? And are you ready to know exactly how you're going to get there? If so, you're going to want to stop right now and head to catchingupwithkc.com to learn more about the Clarity Cycle Framework and then come back to catch up on this episode. It'll still be here when you get back. Okay, now that you are primed for thinking about cohesive vision-driven teams that make change happen, let's jump into this week's Change Catalyst conversation. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another conversation where we are attempting to make great change happen in schools. I am excited to be joined with Sarah Henry tonight, co-author of the book, Arrows, A Systems-Based Approach to Instructional Leadership. And I am so looking forward to her sharing about tonight's topic, which we're going to get to in just a little bit. But Sarah, take a little bit of time. I want to welcome you to our show. I want you to share who you are, what it is that you do, and your aspirations. Well, thank you, Casey, for having me on your show. Um, So I currently am doing consulting and serving as a district and PLC alignment coach. 
So working with school districts to help them kind of simplify their vision, uh, create clarity in uh, the work, and basically create an atmosphere where uh, we're being very intentional so that we're not working harder. Yeah. And I forget what you just asked me the last question. Mm, your aspiration. Well, aspiration. Yeah, so, are, yeah. yeah. So um, this is my 22nd year in education. Um, started off with elementary and middle school science and um, went on to actually teach high school science as well. So I have that unique um, exposure to all the levels. Um, middle school is definitely my love. Um, got my admin degree and decided to, um, I didn't really, I wanted to work with the teachers to help teachers um, be more intentional with their instruction. Um, and that's kind of where I've always pushed myself to grow. Wow. So um, in this role, um, I'm able to kind of go outside now to other districts. And it's been interesting to be able just to kind of see um, how everybody is set up differently and use those um, science diagnosis skills to kind of figure out where I'm seeing areas that they need support. So really kind of my aspirations would be to continue to grow this work and to, you know, simplify things. You know, we're in a time where it's hard to retain educators. And I think any of the things that I can do to make life easier um, and also, you know, result in positive things for students, then that would be a fulfilling life for me. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's great stuff. And I love how you're mentioning like keeping it simple, making things or working smarter, not harder. But at the same time, that ease comes with your intentionality, right? Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's kind of what what you're referring to in your work is being super intentional with your processes so that in the long run, it can be a smoother, easier process that has a greater impact. Exactly. Yeah. So tonight you're going to be sharing with us about mapping standards with teams. And I'm really, really interested in this topic because I cannot count on my hands the number of times where I have met with leaders to um, like as a teacher myself, where I have had leaders talk to us about the importance of digging deeper into standards. And sometimes when leaders come approach this work, it almost seems a little bit ambiguous, you know, where it's like, okay, well, I can read the standards and I know, I know what it is I'm supposed to teach. And we walk away from it. But then we find oftentimes that teachers don't really go back and reflect on the standards or even know like specifically what it means, like the details behind those standards, mm -hmm. And even more so, what it looks like from one grade level to another and so on. So there's just like a big complexity to yeah. this work. And I think because oftentimes our leaders don't quite understand how to do this intentionally, it filters down and affects the way that our teachers approach this work. So I am really pumped to hear what all you have to say about mapping standards with teams and I want to start by asking you what it means to you. Like when you talk about mapping standards, what does that mean? I think, you know, for me, it's it's dedicating the time for the teachers, the people who are closest to the work, um, the people who do the instructing, 
um, to really dig deeper into the standards, like you mentioned, to think about um, what is it they're actually asking uh, the students to know, understand, and do. Mm-hmm. And I think when you marry this with, um, you know, collaborative work like professional learning communities, um, you often will see that um, these two things really go hand in hand. Um, because when we think about critical questions for uh, PLC work and we think about what do we want our students to know um, and how are we going to know that they have learned it, you really have to go deeper. And I think one of the things that I've noticed that's probably easier to say that um, that mapping the standards is not, um, it is not um, taking a pre-written textbook and trusting that it has the standards. Um, it's not someone at central office putting together a map without input from the people who actually have to implement it. Wow. So I think I see a lot of times, like you've mentioned, because I think it is such a big monster um, and we don't dedicate the right amount of time for the work, it ends up being a rushed document that people aren't bought into. Um, and so in order to really ensure the clarity and the equity for all the students, yeah. uh, it, you know, super important that you you make sure that you're really spelling out all those details. Yeah, man. Oh, there's there's there are too many. I really should be taking notes right now about <laughs> things that I want to comment on because there were so many things. But one thing that's, that stood out that you said, well, two things, really. Number one. And this is what bothers me. I could go on a whole tangent about adopted curriculums that say that they um, cover all of the standards, Mm -hmm. right? Because those curriculums are written kind of in a, uh, in a blanket way, you know? And so then they look through the states to the different states standards and they just attach Mm -hmm. whatever standards seem like they match with the lessons. And, um, it makes it really hard to, to get buy-in from teachers to want to do the work of digging into the standards because the belief is that, well, I know that this covers all of my standards because they're listed at the bottom of the page, mm-hmm. but you know, can we trust that really? And even if it, if, even if it does, even if it's all inclusive of all of your standards, do you know and understand what it is that the students should be able to know, understand, and do. Um, yeah, so I love everything that you said about that. I think one of the things with that is that, and and I would argue that COVID made it worse, um, where it's, you know, we talk about in our book arrows about it's the people work, it's people, not programs. Yes. And I think especially when everybody was kind of in panic mode with we've got kids that have gaps, and there was extra funding for it. It was like let's let's buy all these magic, you know, programs. And and working with teachers in in districts, um, I'm shocked at the number that when I say what is it the students are supposed to know, and they're like, well, we're on module this, yes, in this section of the book. Okay, well, well, it's argument of writing. They need to be able to write argumentative essays. Okay, but like, what does your grade level need to know? Right. And, and really, I'm seeing more and more that that don't even know that, and so. Obviously, that's a huge concern um, that we yeah. need to write the path on for sure. Right. It's almost like, you know, you're teaching the stuff, but you're not teaching the students and you're not teaching the standards. We're just mm-hmm. stuff. And that's yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, 
It And it's interesting. It's really, really interesting to me. It's kind of like this weird back and forth cycle of a discussion where administrators, I would say, and even I would say district leaders or even um, state, state, um, what is the word, like people in politics who are trying to make things easier for teachers, right? Because we know that the stress level is so high. But the problem is you're not really making things easier for teachers. What is actually happening is when we look at the path and the journey ahead, we're making things harder. We're taking away their autonomy and their ability to teach to students' needs. And then we're going to get to a point where we notice students aren't making the progress that they need to make because we've been teaching the modules, been teaching the stuff. Mm-hmm. but without, without understanding of what it is we're teaching. Yeah. Or, or even what, what needs to be going on in a student's brain to yeah. think through a standard. Yeah. And I think that's where I'm seeing too, like, you know, we talk about problem solving skills and all the things that we feel like, you know, kind of, as you get older, you feel like, gosh, these kids these days. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think there's a, there's a direct connection to that because, I think we're also trying to cover too much. And so that would be another piece of what this really means would be prioritizing the standards. You really can't teach them all. The United States has the, you know, we've got the bigger textbooks. So we're the smarter, you know, the smarter country, but um, being able to really prioritize the the amount of time that you have to spend on each standard. Mm -hmm. I know um, Carrie and I one time took our, uh, it was our seventh grade state English standards and when you took all the sub indicators within the standards and you mapped them out, you had one day per indicator. Wow. When we narrowed it down to the priority, it it allowed eight days per priority standard. And just to imagine how much deeper and you know longer the kids have to kind of practice and, and get the, the content to go to long term memory. Yeah, um, it's a big piece. Yeah. So I'm curious to hear about like what the process would involve if you were working with a team and mapping out standards, what would that look like? Yeah, I think the first piece really is to identify what the priority standards are. Um, Something interesting in our state we currently have happening in Indiana is um, they are reducing standards by a third. And so I think whether it's a state has prioritized standards or you some in some states you have to go through and decide, you know, what are those enduring standards? What are those standards that really the students need to know to move forward um, to be able to understand more complex ideas? So I think once that's once that's happened, I think you really because of some of the bad practices with mapping in the past, um, I find I have to spend time really kind of. creating the atmosphere or the environment of what it's going to be like and helping them understand that this um, we're going to use this to guide the selection of our textbook mm-hmm. of our resources versus yeah. trying to, you know, we're not really understand what we need to teach so that we can select the resources that are going to be the best for helping us in yeah. areas that, that were weak, but helping them understand that when we talk about mapping of the standards um, as far as pacing goes, that really we're only talking about the guaranteed and viable parts, the parts that we say every kid, no matter who, which teacher they have for third grade, um, we believe that these are all the standards that really need to be covered. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that helps people who get a little um, 
maybe worry that it is going to be someone's telling them exactly what to do for them to understand, you know, you might have this great thing you do with that one lesson, but because it's not a priority standard, you have to see if you have time to fit it in in your classroom versus everybody else. Yeah. So I think getting that kind of context of we're not creating the map that says exactly what everyone has to do like a robot. We're mm-hmm. really tightening up um, the, what the standards are and we're tightening up how we want to assess those standards and deciding on what makes logical sense as far as pacing and priority and how many days yeah. you want to spend. So one of the things, too, I really ask them to think about with the standards are what prerequisites are needed. I think a lot of times um, because we aren't so used to the standards or especially if you're early in your career, um, you don't necessarily know what the threat of that standard is from the grades prior and the grades after. So really understanding like where you're moving them on the skill. And then I think the other thing is having them think about what misconceptions students bring to the table. Because mm-hmm. as you're deciding, to, you know, what it is exactly and how many days you need to spend, you might find that there's one that, gosh, there's a lot of misconceptions. So you're probably going to have to spend more time on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, really kind of giving the space then for them to dive into the standards and really do the do that work and ask those questions um, and deciding what makes sense for their students as far as the order they want to create. Yeah. Um, I think the thing with pacing and mapping is I think you could come back to it and do another wrap around. And this time we're going to add scaffolding. And this time, I mean, I think you could go on, on and on and on, but I think the basics aligning what it is that you believe um, the students are going to be covering. Um, And I think the other piece there too, is that vertical alignment. Mm -hmm. And so making sure that those skills are vertically aligning so that we're not creating gaps or we're not, feeling the need to reteach skills that we think maybe weren't covered or we assumed weren't covered in the past. Yeah. So there are a couple of things I want to dig a little bit deeper into that you've talked about. Number one, this idea of mapping the standards first and then choosing your resources is phenomenal. And it doesn't happen. I, mm-hmm. I would say it probably happens less often than it does. Um. And I, I'm curious about why you think that is. Why do you feel like we do we, we do it opposite where we choose the programs and then we do this? You know, and I don't know. It's interesting because in Indiana, um, how it's set up, we are on a six year cycle uh, with our standards and our uh, resources like for adoption. Mm-hmm. So typically what happens is they they put the adoption year the same year that the standards come out. Mm-hmm. And so um, because they have it set up that way, everyone's in a rush and we're kind of doing it backwards where I know, for example, in Indiana, we switched this year to the um, the national or the next generation science standards, the national like core standards for science. And it's a completely different, uh, different way of thinking. Mm-hmm. And so really having to spend time um, unpacking that piece and, and thinking about if you don't, if you, if it's a different way to teach, we've got to really understand what it is we need to do and where our weaknesses are at. So that then when we select a resource, if we know, gosh, we don't have a lot of examples of scientists 
um, who are of different races or ethnicities or religions or whatnot. And so, you know, that might be a weakness. So I'm going to purposely look to select materials then aligning with what our needs are for our students, for our population. Um, and, and so I think that I think it, what I notice is it's the timing of and the rushing of trying to do that together. So yeah. this year I did, I did, um, I was able to push back a year. So they got this year to really get to know the new standards and now they can go forward and pick a book that makes sense um, to kind of support. So, you know, again, I, I don't know if that's the timing of, of how we try to rush things or, yeah. or what, but I just feel like if we, if we don't really know what it is exactly the student's are needing than to pick a book prior. And then that also feeds into the frustration with mapping, right? Well, why do we need to map? The textbook already has an outline and a map for us to follow, right? So yeah. it does feel um, just backwards. Yeah, but doesn't it, I mean, and that's where I, we have to have this um, mindset shift where, and this is a process, this is a process in and of itself, but bringing clarity to all educators, I would say administrators included, but teachers also to help them see that when you can get really clear about your state standards, like what exactly is expected of your students, then regardless of whether you have the adopted curriculum or a resource, you can still craft mm -hmm. and design lessons that meet the needs of your students based on your standards. Correct. And you'll feel really confident using a curriculum or using a resource, knowing that I know exactly what the standard says. I know what my students are able to do right now. So I can adjust this lesson to meet the needs of my students. Man, I mean, what great flexibility that brings for teachers and what great capacity it builds. Yeah. And I think we, I think that's an area we miss out on. There's so much capacity and leadership within teachers um, that, you know, admin have a lot to do, right? So we need to be smarter about how we utilize our teacher leaders. Um, and they're, and I think that's, it's interesting when I do this work, cause I'll hear that often, like you really, you really do believe that teachers can be leaders and I think I think it's not that other people don't believe that, but somehow we're not portraying that message yeah. um, or not creating situations for them to be able to do those things. Right. Yeah. So the other thing I want to talk about is um, the culture of consistency. And Sarah, I'm just going to let you know your screen is frozen and it could be my end of things, but I'm just going to keep going because I think I can still hear you. Yes. Um, so culture of consistency is one of the things that I've been working on um, in the district that I'm in right now. And it's so interesting. I, I don't know where it came from, but I was in a um, professional development session online and the presenter had these slides that it was, it was from a student's perspective, but it was like in kindergarten, my teacher taught me this in math but she forgot about this because she thought that I already knew X, Y, Z. And then it moves to first grade. And the first grade student says, in first grade, my teacher told me to, to stop using this because she thought that in second grade, they don't use this you know, thing. So it was just like all of these assumptions coming up across, the, the, across each student's year. So you create these unintentional gaps. Yeah. And um, I, I would love for you to speak to that a little bit and how mapping standards can help build this like school-wide or district-wide culture of consistency. 
I think, you know, when you think about too, like we're all, we're all in this together. They're all, all of our students. And so if we think of it like that, and we think of, we want our students, especially if I'm in a district where um, there's a lot of transient population moving from maybe apartment complex to apartment complex, there's, there's certain conditions that it's, it's just really important that, um, that we're all creating a, a similar path that we're going to go through. Yeah. Um, I'm going to, I feel like I'm losing my train of thought because I'm distracted that I can't see myself. Here's what I'm, I'm going to try to remove you from the screen and then okay. you back up. Hey, okay. if you're here in the comments, guys, would you jot down like something that has stood out to you so far or what you're noticing in your district in regards to like mapping standards and, um, what you're seeing happening and what you're seeing that's that's not happening that should be happening. Okay. Did that work? No. No. Is it frozen on your end? It I see it frozen on my end. Interesting. Okay. Here's what's gonna happen. I'm gonna try to reload this page. Okay. Beware. Um, if you are here in the comments, beware. We might cut out for a second. It's gonna be all right. We'll be right back. Reload. Hey, are y'all there? Sarah, are you here? I am here. I still look. Oh. Let's do this. No? Interesting. Oh, well. So crazy. Okay, so I'm going to, while you're checking into that, um, Michelle Rui, who is here with us tonight, hey, Michelle, says this whole rush to bring in materials at the very same time as new standards is a huge problem. Oh, my gosh. It so is. And it happens everywhere. Like, who's making these decisions, right? Good night. Are you there with me, Sarah? I am here, yes. Okay. All right. You good to keep going or do you want to I, try? I am good. You guys just have to look at my stuck face. It's fine. We'll just pretend that your mouth is moving. Okay. Um, and then let's see. Michelle Boulin says our ELA vertical team has identified their power standards and continue to work toward a scope and sequence. And, you know, kind of to your point earlier, Sarah, you're talking about the teachers being an active part of this. So I want to know a little bit, like when you meet with teams, can you paint us a picture of that? Like, maybe even a situation where you've experienced this with teams before and the impact that it's had? Yeah, I think um, you definitely, when we talk about like who needs to be at the table, I think, you know, there tends to be someone in every district or school who wears that curriculum hat um, that's maybe more familiar with some of the standards. So I think that it's important that they help guide or structure um, the time for the teachers but I think, like I said, a lot of it is just setting um, setting the groundwork and kind of un, maybe unpacking the struggles they've had with mapping in the past mm -hmm. and redefining what we're trying to do and trying to align and create clarity on. Um, and then, honestly, it's about stepping away and letting the teacher start to do the work. And, and I think I've noticed... What's interesting as they start to impact the standards post COVID is they're realizing there are things that they used to do as teachers, as instructors that they stopped. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's also a little bit of imposter syndrome yeah. um, where teachers are feeling like, gosh, why did I ever stop doing group work? That's, yeah. oh, because the kids didn't know how to behave when they came back. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. There were like all these factors. So I think the other piece too is when you first start letting them actually get their hands in and doing the work, um, I think it makes sense to have, you know, if you're a larger district, um, you would want representatives from, so for example, if we have two middle schools uh, we would want, you know, at least one representative from each building for the grade level and the content. Mm-hmm. Um, you would always want those to, to be equal. But just knowing that when they're starting to work on this, on this, they're going to feel a little unsure of themselves. Mm-hmm. And so being able just to kind of circulate and reaffirm for them that they're doing the right work. And a lot of times I think what's hard is there's not one way to do it, right? Um, And that's why this work, you know, it never can be a robotic thing because there's so many different ways and it depends on the context of your students and your building and their backgrounds and all the things um, that we talked about earlier. So really then it's letting them just do the work. And um, once they've kind of decided the order that they would want to put the standards in, um, really having them take those standards and put them in student friendly language. Um, so we refer to those as I can statements. Mm-hmm. Um, I really believe in the power of <clears throat> involving students in formative assessment and understanding of the standards. Um, I think that at times, you know, like I know I've been in schools where we post those I can statements or we post the objectives, but then nothing's ever done with them. And it's it's again, no one's ever explained the why or the power behind involving the students in that and having them self-assess. Right. Um, so having the space to kind of coach them through those conversations and those things that they have to think through. Um, and then usually after you've really kind of aligned that, then you circle back and start thinking about the assessments and, and yeah. what, what are the things that we want to measure in commonality, especially if we have collaborative conversations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I was thinking about as you were talking how you do have to get in and get your hands dirty and you need to be able to facilitate, but let teachers just like just dive into it. And what is so interesting, and I have found this recently in doing some similar work, is that teachers will recognize, and this takes a lot, like you have to have some vulnerability in this because they will recognize when they have misconceptions about standards or they will realize, oh my gosh, I've been teaching this concept or this idea and it's not even a part of our standards. Right. Like part of, you know, last year's standards or next year's standards, but I'm, this isn't even something I need to be putting, placing priority on. So I find that that's something interesting that happens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, someone in the comments said, hold on, let me find it. Sometimes alignment is questioned after the fact. So they might say, I taught X, Y, Z, but they, meaning students, didn't do well on our standards-based unit assessment. What am I missing? So have you noticed, because you talked about like having to come back to this work, have you noticed this happening in with teams that you've worked with? Yeah, I think, you know, whenever we're looking at data, Um, Carrie and I were recently having a conversation about how so much of our culture goes into how we perceive data and what data is important. Mm -hmm. And so what I do find is when we talk about like standards-based unit assessments, 
a lot of districts have done what I believe is the wrong thing. And they really focus on the great big data. Like here is your, um, so for example, NWA is something we use in Indiana. Mm -hmm. I know it's used other places as well. Um, but here's your NW data for all your students. Figure out how to fix them, right? Yeah. Versus if we together as a, as a collaborative group have decided what it is the kids are supposed to know and we craft questions together that we feel like are the right rigor for what the standard is asking, that allows us to come back and have conversations about our instruction. Um, so I think what could be missing is that maybe it's too big of a standard. Um, I know I also feel really strongly that summative assessments are autopsy data. They help us fix our instruction for next year. It's too late to fix the kids for that. If we are doing formative assessments where we might design a really well-crafted question together where we've intentionally decided that if the kid picks A, they had this misconception. And if yeah. they picked B, this was their misunderstanding. And then together we can talk and brainstorm, gosh, if a kid picks A and that's their misconception, what's the best way to teach that? How have you guys yeah. done that? Yeah. I think formative data is better in those atmospheres too, because we don't expect the kids to know it at that point. So I might have a group of lower students and you have a group of higher students. So comparing summative data feels confrontational. Yeah. But informative data, it's, you know, as we're learning, we're informing our instruction. So I think that's the big switch that has to happen as well, is really looking at those small checks that we do along the way. Yeah. And that will, that would allow, if you're thinking more about formative assessments, that allows teachers to feel a little bit more, um, more willing to take risks mm -hmm. and able to be more vulnerable with those conversations. Um, so we have a question here actually about, I'm, I'm going to kind of go back to, you talked about I can statements. Okay. And Melissa is asking, do you include all of the subparts of standards in the student I can statement? So um, she said like meaning ABC. So I guess like this is what students are expected to do. Are there yes, some parts to that? Yeah. Yeah. So here's what I think. Um, I think, um, <laughs> I think that, you know, under the guise of making standards less, right. Mm -hmm. We all know that oftentimes that means we're, we're compacting a bunch of standards into one. Um, and so my, um, my thought process on that is that, I need to think in that one standard, what are all the sub skills um, and or concepts? And really there should be an I can statement for each one of those. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes one standard um, could have, gosh, and again, my background's mostly in science. So if I'm thinking from the science world, I mean, you might have um, eight I can statements for each standard. Um, right. And then how that translates kind of how I see that is if we focus on one I can statement a week. Um, and so that's kind of how my brain unpacks those. But I definitely think that we don't, if we give them all the garbly goop at once, um, yeah. it's still going to be confusing for them. If we're having them self-assess and measure, we want to be really narrowed down to the specific skills. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to kind of start um, wrapping up the conversation. I've so enjoyed this and I feel like we could talk so much more because talking about mapping the standards, there are so many sub 
uh, talking about subcategories. There are uh-huh. so many subcategories to this conversation. Like you've said so much about space and time and by far the most, um, the, the most, what's the word I'm looking for? Maybe that's not the way I want to phrase it. What I hear most, that's the way I want to phrase it. What I hear most from teachers when I meet with them, specifically in consulting or even in the school district that I'm in now, is that we lack time. We don't have time to meet. We don't have time to map out standards. Time, 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 time. And um, last week when I had a Change Catalyst conversation with some ladies, they talked a lot about, Michelle Rui actually said, we actually do have time. We're just not prioritizing it in the right way. Mm-hmm. So as we start to wrap up, I really want to hear like, if you are going to challenge leaders to do this effectively, how would you suggest they use their time and where would they fit this in? Yeah, I mean, and that is a hard thing. And I think in some districts you have a climate where people, where it's the norm that it's okay to do this work outside of the hours of the day. Mm -hmm. And there's some districts where that's not the case. Um, And so I think in my mind, I always try to think about how do we capture within the work day? Um, I think, you know, what we find and what you're right, teachers say, just give us more time. Um, and I think there's, there's two sides of that too. And I'll have conversations with teachers that, you know, and they'll say, gosh, that faculty meeting was such a waste of time. They could have just emailed me that information. And I don't disagree, but I'll, I'll counter that with, but we have to prove that we're going to do that. Yeah. You know, we have to actually read the emails that are sent out. Right. Um, and so part of it too, is proving back to those above us that we're actually going to follow through, um, with those things. Yeah. But I think that um, really, you know, if it's something that can be done in an email, um, think about, again, building capacity. If you have um, grade level leaders or subject area leaders that you're able to, um, you know, kind of share the wealth of information and they can take it and break it down um, in another type of meeting that they might already have with their groups. So -hmm. I think it's just being really smart with that. And I think just you know, when we have meetings and PD, it doesn't have to, like, we don't have to fill all the time with stuff. And that's what I think the biggest thing is like, we need the space to, to reflect and to ask the questions. And and like you mentioned earlier, to be vulnerable. And I think Mm -hmm. some of our biggest challenges in education, in order to fix them, we have to be vulnerable. And so we need to create safe spaces for that. And, And like you mentioned, clarity and uh, predictability are all pieces that play into, um, into that safety. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So here's my last question. As I'm asking this last question, if you are here with us tonight, I want you to drop in the comments what you feel was most useful for you here tonight. So just put that in the comments. Um, Maybe even jot down like in the comments what you want to hear more of from Sarah. So if there's something that's really piqued your interest, put it in the comments so we know like what to look forward to in the future. But um, Sarah, tell me a little bit about how mapping standards helps to build cohesive vision-driven teams. I think, I, I think of like an analogy of, 
you know, we would never trust surgeons who decided um, what equipment they're going to use for a surgery without knowing the surgery, <laughs> right? Or having the time to confer with other experts to decide the best plan of action. So I'm not quite sure why in education we feel like we can do this where we're going to, you know, we're going to select our tools, right? We're going to select our textbooks before we really even know what we need to teach. Uh, we're not going to have time to bounce ideas off of each other and to really think about what's the best way to, um, to approach it. So I think, um, I think oftentimes for whatever reason, we look at education differently and how we respond to things. And in my mind, we're just like doctors. Yep. We're smart people that if we have the systems and the alignment and the clarity, we can work together to solve these problems and it doesn't have to be so hard. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So I'm seeing some um, comments here. I'm just going to pop a few up. Um, Melissa says, absolutely. Teachers and leaders need to be able to actually collaborate. So I would say, yes, that's what we need to spend our time doing. That needs to be the bulk of our time collaborating together. And then um, Valerie, hey, Valerie. Um, Valerie says, I love the idea of thinking about building a culture of consistency. I'll be working with our ELA team this summer to map new standards. And this is going to be key. Yes, it is. Awesome. And Michelle Ree says, I need to help my leader understand why this work is necessary and be willing to allow time for it. And that that is a huge challenge. I feel like I could do an episode on that. So if oh, anyone's yeah. interested on like in jumping in on a conversation about leading administrators in this direction, let's do it. Um, but yes, that is, that is hard, but it is imperative. And then finally, we'll do one more. Michelle Boulin says, I like the idea of knowing your standards and then choosing what, what you want to use, even in a canned, canned curriculum. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's a great way to say that. Okay, Sarah, what is one thing that you feel like you want to leave our viewers or listeners with or like a challenge for them? I guess my challenge would be that for us to constantly remember that they're all, all of our students. Mm -hmm. No one working in isolation is going to be able to, to solve the struggles and the challenges that we come up with. And so it only makes sense that we, we partner together um, and build on one another's strengths. So I would just challenge everybody that when, when you're kind of in the, uh, the crazy times of the year and you're kind of feeling frustrated to maybe stop and reflect um, on whether you're really taking that, that perspective of they're all, all of our students. And, and if not, what, what might you change? Yeah, absolutely. And that is the key to collective efficacy. Okay. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on tonight. Thank you. Sorry about my stuck face. Hey, you know what? That's okay. <laughs> I mean, I think we've learned and if we've learned nothing else from COVID, we've learned to just like roll with technology yep. issues. So, okay, yep. guys, I so enjoyed this conversation. Come back for another conversation, not next Sunday, but the next Sunday. And um, be sure, I forgot to, to talk about this, oh. Sarah. Sarah yeah. has, and I'm going to put it in, I'm going to copy this, copy link address. I'm going to put it in the comments. Maybe you'll see it on Facebook. You might have to go to YouTube, guys. But um, Sarah, tell us about what you've got coming up next week. 
with PLC? Yeah, next week. And then I'm offering this also uh, one time in July and one time in August. Um, but really, uh, it's a hour and a half virtual session um, about launching professional learning communities and how um, maybe you have already done those and you want to reflect and think about what are the, the best ways to kind of reboot or uh, what are the kind of critical things you need? How can I help save you some of the struggles that, I, that I've lived through before um, in helping launch PLCs to be really successful? Nice. And I will put that link in the show notes. So if you want to catch that, uh, all that she has to offer, go to the show notes on Spotify or iTunes. And that's actually where we're going to end. I enjoyed this conversation. We will talk to you guys later. Bye, everybody. Bye. Hey guys, I want to give a huge shout out to you for tuning into today's Change Catalyst conversation. I would love for you to do me two solid favors. Number one, if you have enjoyed this or any other Change Catalyst conversation, do me a favor and hit subscribe. I've got a lot of great content and guests coming up and I don't want you to miss any of it. Number two, if you are thinking of a friend or colleague who could benefit from this show, share it with them. The only way to make change happen is through a multiplier effect. And you can be a multiplier by sharing this show. Until next time, I want you to go off and do the great things that change catalysts do.